Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So Paul is pointing to another temple in which this Antichrist is going to set up his throne on this earth. Briefly, thank God. In verse 6 it says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. I am Welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. In our lesson today, Pastor Rob gives us a review of all the temples that were built in Jerusalem, and even the one that is prophesied in the book of Revelation. It is likely that this temple in the book of Revelation is the temple that will be the fulfillment of what Daniel, Jesus, and Paul said regarding the abomination of desolation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, to look for an abomination standing in the holy place, which would be the pivotal sign that the season of God's wrath was upon the earth. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he takes us through God's temple. Also called the son of perdition, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So Paul is pointing to another temple in which this Antichrist is going to set up his throne on this earth. Briefly, thank God. In verse 6 it says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, meaning the Holy Spirit of God in the church, he who restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, this Antichrist, then he will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. You remember that the church has to be removed first. He has to be re- we have to be removed first, or else we will call this one out very easily. But most of the world who doesn't read their Bibles are going to be completely clueless. He's not going to come on the scene with a, with a pointed tail and a pitchfork and a red suit with pointy ears. He's going to be a very elegant man. He's going to be a very, probably a good-looking man. He's going to be certainly well-spoken. He's going to be awesome. He's going to be the politician of politicians. And there's going to be no dirty laundry on this guy. He's going to look squeaky clean, and everyone's going to awe, be in awe of him, right? 
they're going to be in awe, but there is a temple coming. But the church does have to be removed. And once the church is removed, then God's plan of Daniel's 70th week can unfold. It'll unfold. Now, there are three different temples that have already occurred on the earth. We can see this chart and the first one was Solomon's, built around 1012 B.C. The next one was Zerubbabel's. And then the, the last one that has been on the earth so far is Herod's temple. That is currently the one uh, that when Jesus was alive, that was the temple that was in place. And throughout Israel's history, we'll see that there's going to be five different temples. You could argue that there really are only four, because some consider Zerubbabel's temple really just a... Uh, a rebuild of Solomon's temple. And what I'd like to do this morning is take a look at these, and then we'll park a little bit more when we get to the tribulation temple, which is really called the third temple. Okay, so, but first, let's talk about the tabernacle. When you think of a temple, it's a stationary place. But the tabernacle, if you recall, was one of these structures that was mobile. It was taken up by the priests, the Levites. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they had a place of worship. And the tabernacle was where they did the sacrifices. And the tabernacle was where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the altar was. It's where they worshipped. But it was a very movable form of worship. It was a very movable thing. And so it really wasn't called a temple per se. And in fact, Exodus chapters 25 through 40 give a detailed outline of all those vestments, how the thing was to be built. Very specific, God told Moses to plan the tabernacle, and it was supposed to be according to the pattern of those things in glory. And you remember when we were in Revelation 4 and 5, we looked at the throne room of God, and we saw the similarities of the throne room of God versus the temple, or versus the articles in the tabernacle and the temple. And so the Jews, they built this temple, and it was a mobile thing. And it's very interesting, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, once the, temple, once the tabernacle, I'm sorry, I'm going I'm to mess that up a lot today, so bear with me, the tabernacle, it's interesting, and I bring this up for a reason. In Exodus 40, after the tabernacle was completed, it says, The cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And Moses was not even able to enter the temple or the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And so this Shekinah glory, we call it, consumed the temple. It was the very presence of God. The very presence of God. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because as we go along, we're going to see something happening with God's presence in the temple. Because we will see as, they, as time went on, as they began to flounder in their morals and in their devotion to the Lord, that um, at one point, before the destruction of Solomon's temple by the Babylonians, the Shekinah glory leaves. It leaves the temple. No longer is it really about Jesus anymore. It became a money-making machine. It became more about the external ritual rather than inward and that can happen to anybody. It certainly happened to the Jews. Their religion became very dead because they were no longer seeking God in, in, in the, on the inward man. They were going through all the outward rituals. And that's easy to do, isn't it? It's easy just to, to have the externals in place. Anybody can do that. It's very easy. Well, it can be hard, but 
the externals aren't really what's important to God, right? God looks on the inward man. He looks at the person on the inside. He doesn't care about how you look on the outside. That's why, uh, you know, one of the movements of Calvary, the movement of Calvary Chapel was so interesting. It started with a bunch of hippies off the beach in Newport Beach in California in the 60s. The hippies came in with, with sand on their feet and they looked unkempt, raggedy clothes, messed up hair, they smelled of pot. <laughs> and they came in, they heard the news of the gospel and were radically saved. So God doesn't care about your externals. He sees what's on the inside. That's what's more important. And that's a good thing to remember on all these facades that we see, even the temple. God's more concerned with the inner man than what's on the outward. And so the first temple that we see is Solomon's temple. This was built in 950 B.C., And this is called the first temple. You'll notice on the left side of the screen here, you can see Solomon's temple in all of its glory. But yet, when you look at Herod's temple, it dwarfs it by, by, you know, significantly. As we get to Herod's temple, we'll see that Solomon's temple becomes somewhat small compared to Solomon, Solomon's temple. But we read about this temple of Solomon in 1 Kings chapters 5 through 8. Remember David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. But God says, David, you can't build a temple for me. You can't build a place for me because your hand is full of blood. You're a warrior, David. You're a warrior. You can't build the temple, but your son will build the temple. Your son Solomon, he will build the temple for me. So what did David do? Like a good father, he just got all the materials ready, got everything ready for his son. If I can't build the temple, then I'm going to get all the stuff. I'm going to get all the wood. I'm going to go down to Home Depot, and I'm going to buy all the plywood, and I'm going to get all the 4 by 4 posts, and I'm going to get the gold and the silver. I'm going to get all the materials, the precious stones, all of these things, and I'm going to get them ready. So when the time comes, Lord, when my son is ready, he's going to have everything he needs, and then some, to build this temple. And that's exactly what David does. He prepares his son. And this first temple, this Solomon's temple there on the left-hand side, this is the first temple. It was a permanent structure, no longer mobile and transient like the, the tabernacle was. And this is the temple that Jesus knew and grew up in when he was incarnate in the flesh. This is the place where Jesus went. This is where they all went during the time in the first century. And you recall that this temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C., Destroyed, caught on fire. The whole thing was completely destroyed. And then going forward in time, remember, after this destruction of the temple, the Jews get taken to captivity. They get taken off to Babylon. They're there for 70 years, as Jeremiah predicted in Jeremiah 25. God told them, 70 years are determined. They will stay there. But at the end of that seven years, there's a lot to this, but it's so wonderful how God brought them back into their land. He even allowed Cyrus and Artaxerxes and Darius, these, these pagan kings that had succeeded the, the kingdom of Babylon. They were even on board with getting the materials and everything so that the Jews could rebuild their temple. Miracle of miracles. Miracle of miracles. And so Zerubbabel's temple in Ezra chapter 6 Beginning in verse uh, 3 through 15, it speaks of the Zerubbabel's temple. And basically what it was is after they came back from the captivity, they saw uh, Solomon's temple just laid waste, burned. Everything was looted. Everything was taken away. And so now they're going to rebuild it. 
But it's going to be much less than it once was. It's going to be much, much less. It was began in 536 B.C., and, it, and the end of the construction of it ended on 515 B.C. It took them 21 years to build it, but it wasn't as glorious as Solomon's first temple. In fact, in Ezra, let me read a couple of verses for you. This, this temple was so insignificant comparable, comparative to Solomon's temple. Let me read to you what it says in Ezra 3. It says, Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, this is the Jews coming back from Babylon, he says, um, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem, they began work on this temple. And they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. And then Joshua, with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God. The sons of Henadad and their sons and their brethren, the Levites, And then in verse 10, it says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple, notice this, when they laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. And it was a joyous time, really. You know, think of it. They lost their temple, they've been in captivity, now they're coming back. They're excited. They're excited, especially the ones that had been born in Babylon. Remember, that's a long time, 70 years. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses, these are the old men who had seen the first temple. They wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. And, and, and so the old men, who remembered what the former uh, temple was, they saw in its all of its beauty. It was the one of the seven wonders of the world. And the old men are weeping because they remember. And the young men, perhaps those born in Babylon, had never seen it, never seen the temple at all. It's like a new thing for them, and so they're rejoicing. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, let me read it to you, concerning this. uh, It's really not a second temple. I really call it 1B. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak. Remember, these are the two men who came back with a multitude of people from Babylon, from their captivity. God says, Go tell them this. He says, Who was left among you who saw this temple in its former glory, God says. In other words, do you remember Solomon's temple? He said, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory, and how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now, be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains, remains among you. Do not fear, do not fear. So even though it's small in your eyes, rejoice and be strong and get at it. Again, God not concerned with the externals. They were, the old men were, it's hard to not compare, right? Right? 
When you've seen the Cadillac and it looks all spot shine and everything, and then you get the Yugo that's 20 or 30 years old and it's got rust and the floorboards are rusting out, <laughs> you, just, you look at that and you're like, oh, the glory days. Right? That's the way it was for the old men. Now, fast forward a couple hundred years. After Babylon fell, and then the Medes and the Persians, and the, the Greeks, and Alexander the Great, you know, after Alexander the Great dies, four of his generals, it tells us in Daniel, begin to break up the kingdom, and they start having their own different places where they'll have dominion over those things. And one of those men was Antiochus. And he had a descendant, uh, probably a son or a grandson or a great-grandson, whose name was Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And this man, in 169, between 169 and 167 B.C., so this is after the temple had been built, rebuilt by Zerubbabel, a couple hundred years later, this man, Antiochus Epiphanes, comes against Jerusalem. And what does he do? He brings in and he slaughters a pig, which is an unclean animal. To this day, an Orthodox Jew would not touch pork. They don't eat bacon. None of that stuff. So what does Antiochus do? He takes a pig and he slaughters it on the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And if that wasn't bad enough to desecrate the temple... He puts up an altar, an image of Zeus, a statue. I'm sorry, not of Zeus, but of Jupiter. Right there on the Temple Mount to desecrate it. And Antiochus is a form of of an Antichrist. He's like an Antichrist. He's not the Antichrist. He certainly had all the some of the vestiges of the Antichrist, but he was not the Antichrist that is to come. Very similar in some ways, but not quite the same. And finally, we get to Herod's temple. After that came to pass several hundred years later, you'll notice that Herod's temple is here on the right-hand side. And in order to please the Jews, remember, Herod was not really a Jew. And so in order to appease the Jews, when he comes into a power, around 20 B.C., he begins work on the Temple Mount. He takes this temple, Zerubbabel's temple, which was kind of decrepit and lowly in the sight of the Jews. And if you're a a politician coming into town, what greater way to curry favor than to say, you know what, you know that old building up on the hill over there that Antiochus desecrated? Let's make that. Let's jack that up. Let's put that on steroids. Let's get, and and I'm going to fund the whole thing. (laughs) And so Herod the Great, a great architect, but a madman, sets out for 45 years, 46 years, to rebuild Zerubbabel's temple. And the Jews are blown away. They've never seen something so glorious. Even Solomon's temple compared to this temple on the right is nothing. You know, Solomon's temple is nothing compared to this temple. It's huge. The whole Temple Mount complex has expanded greatly. Fortifications, I mean, the footers and everything. If you go to Israel with us, you get to see all this stuff. And you guys remember when we were in Jerusalem just a few months ago? We stood on all these things. It's amazing to be up there. I remember in 2005, I had the opportunity to actually go up on the Temple Mount itself, right there next to the Dome of the Rock. And I looked out the eastern gate toward Mount of Olives. Never been there since. I mean, I never, never got to be up there on the Temple Mount. It's very difficult to get up there. It's it's like winning the lottery or something. It's you just you can't a gentile. It's just hard to get up there. 
But there we were with Amir, our tour guide, in 2005. He got us up on the Temple Mount somehow. And I was standing on the Temple Mount, and I was thinking about all these things that I've been reading for years. All the history, all the wars, all the destruction, all the bloodshed, the kings, the places where we're walking, Solomon, David. I mean, all the people in the Bible, they were all walking, out, were walking over the places where they've walked, we, or, or right there where it all happened. And I actually got, I got nervous. I sat up there on the Temple Mount, and I looked out the Eastern Gate, and I just started to quake considering it all, taking it all in, knowing that I probably would never be up there again. Totally blown away, not only of what has happened on this very spot, but what's coming. It's overwhelming, folks. And if you come to Israel, I pray that you will consider it next year. If, if we have a tour, I'll have to find out more about that. But save your money. It'll probably be in the end of February or the beginning of March. But if we do have one, consider coming. It's, it, it's the greatest time of your life. Wonderful time. But so here we have uh, Herod's temple, and this is called the second temple. Some people might call it the third if you uh, consider Zerubbabel's temple a, um, you know, significant. But Herod spent a lot of money, and he totally expanded this whole thing and really made the Jews very happy, made them very happy. And so it was going on for about, uh, I believe it was like 46 years, in fact, in uh, John chapter uh, 2, beginning in verse 18. Remember Jesus, he, the, the Jews were speaking to Jesus. And the Jews said to Jesus, what sign do you show us since you do these things, do these miracles? Show us who you are. And what did Jesus say to him in verse 19? He said, destroy this temple. And here he is standing at Herod's temple, the temple that we saw. He's standing there and he says, destroy. He, I, I don't know if he pointed his finger. Maybe he didn't. I'm sure he didn't. He probably just stood with his hands behind his back and let them think about it. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? Oh, yeah? Really? You're going to do that in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And so now, Jesus dies on the cross. Three days later, he rises again, around 32 AD, somewhere in that area. Forty days he's seen of many people. Then he rises into heaven. He ascends into heaven, where he is right now. Ready to come back for you and I, the church. But then, 35 more years commences. And in 70 AD, we know that Titus, Vespasian, and the Roman legions came against Jerusalem. And they leveled Jerusalem. They destroyed this temple, this Herod's temple. Scraped it to the ground. Scraped it. Killed everybody. The, the streets outside of Jerusalem were lined with crucifixes of hundreds of thousands of Jews that they had crucified. And they'd stick them on the road all along the way for people to see. This is what happens when you mess with Rome. That was the, that was the message. So the, the whole temple was destroyed. It was caught on fire. In fact, they pushed the, the, some of the temple, uh, the, 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 the foundation, they pushed it off the, uh, what is it, the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. And I've actually got a picture. I, I should have put it in here, but I ran out of time. Got a picture of me standing on those rocks that the Romans pushed off the southwest edge of the Temple Mount, and they're there to this day. 
Those rocks are there. I was standing on them. And you could see the, how Herod had chiseled. You know, these were Roman, these were Herodian blocks that the Romans destroyed in 70 A.D. But at this point now, fast forward to our current day. There's no temple in Jerusalem. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.